What a great place to be. I'd rather be in God's house than any place I know except heaven, and then this is what gets us there. Amen? Thank the Lord. It's good to see those that are all of our guests and those that are online. We can't see them, but I guess they can see us. We've got faith anyway. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things unseen. So we're glad tonight to be able to bring the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go right into God's word this evening. And if you have your Bibles, go with me, please, to this, the book of 2 Kings, the 16th chapter. And verse, we're going to begin there with verse 10 and read down through verse 18. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. And Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz, came down from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. Let's pray together that God would speak to our hearts in this service tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our pathway. God, you said your word would not return unto you void, but would go forth and accomplish what pleases you. We ask for your anointing tonight that you would speak to hearts, let your word accomplish your will, and we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. I didn't want you to have to stand all the way through verse 18, so I just kind of stopped short right there. But I want to teach for a little while this evening on the great apostasy. Now, that sounds like a, a word that, you know, it's almost apostolic, it sounds like but it stops short. The first few letters are only the part that are apostolic. But what it really means to be, um, to have apostasy is it is to forsake the faith and principles of truth. To forsake the faith and principles of truth. It's an amazing thing that Ahaz had a father that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. His father was a good king in Judah. And then his son, Hezekiah, was a good king in Judah. But there in that little span of time of one generation from father to son to grandson, we find probably one of the most evil and corrupt and apostate kings that have ever served 
over Israel or over Judah. And I want you to notice what he did because we are seeing in these last ages a reenactment of the apostasy of Ahaz. First of all, we notice that he's the one that introduced the great apostasy. Now, I know that in the last days, the Bible said that there would be a great falling away. And basically, that's what apostasy is. But at the same time, there's a falling away. There's a great revival. And the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. And I think we're seeing that taking place as a pattern. Of course, we know the Old Testament is a shadow and type of things to come and of the New Testament plan of salvation. And uh, we see a, a almost a repeat of things taking place because in the midst of the apostasy of King Ahaz, God brought forth a Hezekiah that brought one of the greatest revivals unto Israel from the idolatry worship that came under Ahaz unto the glorious cleansing of the temple once again and renewing of the power of God. But I want you to look at what, what Ahaz did he went to Damascus. Now, Damascus was the capital of Syria. The Syrians were a heathen nation of idolaters. They were the enemies of Israel and caused all kind of problem unto God's people. But Ahaz goes and visits Damascus. Of all the places, he leaves Jerusalem, the city of God, and goes to the Syrians' capital, and there, in no doubt, entering into their temple and entering into their, their house of worship, he finds an altar. And the Bible said that he was so impressed and wowed by this altar, I don't know what it looked like. Perhaps it was adorned with gold and it had jewels or uh, whatever it is, all kinds of gems and priceless things on it to make it appeal to the eye. But something about it turned this carnal, ungodly, apostate king to want to be like that. The scripture said he calls the priest, Uriah, and, and he says, I want you to take the fashion of this altar and the pattern of this altar, and I want you to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to build one like the Syrians. It's always a dangerous thing when God's people try to copy or imitate what the world has got to offer. And worse than even copying and imitating the world is when we do it in the name of religion or in the name of God I'm going to tell you, we don't have to go to the denominational world to learn how to worship God. We don't have to look at the televangelists and see what they're doing. And if we can imitate that, maybe we can have the same kind of excitement. I want you to know that God laid down the blueprint and God laid down the plan and you can't improve upon it. 
God gave King David the blueprints and the designs of the temple. He patterned it after the tabernacle of Moses, a shadow and a pattern and type of New Testament plan of salvation. There was an order that was involved in this that was the main three ingredients of God's plan of salvation. First of all was the brazen altar. After the brazen altar, you would go to the laver. And after the laver, the priest would enter into the holy place. And then once a year, the high priest would enter into the holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God would come down over the Ark of the Covenant and the, where the cherubims overspread it with their wings. There was a covering there which represented the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice what this wicked king did. I'm going to take time now to read on because this altar was just the beginning. When he saw the altar, the Bible said that he approached to the altar and he offered thereon. That was not the king's business. That was what the priest's job was to be. But he felt like he could do whatever he wanted to do, and he did it. He burned his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also, watch this now, the brazen altar, which was the one that God had ordained to be in the temple, which was before the Lord from the forefront of the house from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the altar. He put his altar where the brazen altar should be and moved the brazen altar out of the picture to the north side of the temple. And then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, upon the great altar, not only does he desecrate the altar that God ordained. Not only does he belittle it, not only does he take it away and put it out of commission, he calls his new fashioned and patterned altar after the Syrians, the great altar. Upon the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering, and the king's burnt sacrifice, and his meat offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, and their meat offering, and their drink offerings, and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering, and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. That word inquire, if you look it up in the Hebrew, says to look upon, to gaze at. In other words, let's take what God ordained, stick it over here as a little museum piece and we can look at it occasionally, but we're gonna replace it with this new modern altar that looks like the Damascus altar. The pattern and the type. We all know what the altar represented in the temple. It represented repentance. 
It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where the blood was shed. When we die out to sin, we have repented. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ consists of these three important things, death, burial, and resurrection. We die out to sin at repentance, at the brazen altar, if you please. We go to the labor, which is the next furniture in the temple and we wash and we cleanse ourselves and the laver where the water is represents water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins and then we go on into that holy of holies that God rent the, the veil from the top to the bottom when he took that last breath at Calvary on the cross Jesus rebuked that curtain and it tore in twain that separated common man from the presence of the glory of God and that represented us entering into the throne room where God would fill us with his Holy Spirit. It wasn't just something for the high priest once a year. It wasn't just something for the priesthood but he made us all kings and priests with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for New Testament salvation? Aren't you glad that God gave a plan and it still works today? The first thing he wanted to do is change the brazen altar. Let's get rid of the brazen altar. Oh, we can look at it every once in a while, remind us, you know, of the old days, but we got something better now, something flashier, something newer. What he did basically was remove repentance. The devil knows if he can get people not to repent. Why do you think they cried out, if you are the Christ, come down off the cross? Because if he had not shed that blood on the cross, we would not have an altar, a place of repentance. There would be no place to repent. Amen? Jesus died on that cross. Would not come down. He didn't have it to prove to anybody anything. Praise God. But the scripture said that after he did this, then verse 17, the king Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the labor. So he wasn't just satisfied getting rid of kicking repentance out, out of the church. Now we're going to get baptism out. Do you understand the great apostasy that this man started? And when God ordained his church, he went back to the pattern of Moses and that old tabernacle and praised God for an altar, an old-fashioned altar that was ordained of God where people could repent of their sins. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He said it's not his will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. You see, we thank God. We, we, I hear a lot of, of reports about revival, and it tells about how many we baptized and how many got the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you, there can be no burial or resurrection if there's not a death. Uh, there's got to be repentance somewhere. We must realize it is repentance that causes us to come near to God. Without repentance, 
we're still sinners. You get baptized without repentance, you just got wet sin. Repent, Peter said, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Those priests would come and offer the offering at the altar in the bloody hands. They would go unto the labor and begin to wash. And then they could enter sanctified into the holy place. The scripture tells us he cut off the borders of the bases, removed the labor from off them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and put it upon a pavement of stones. Isn't that exactly what the denominal world has done? They've taken repentance out of the church. Isn't it exactly what they're teaching today? Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. They blindly and ignorantly or purposely look away from the scriptures that tell us without any hesitation, he that, re- that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. But I believe, and I, I, I introduce this message to you to tell you that this is the danger, and this is the beginning. It didn't just start... Uh, a few years ago, this denominational work that pushes repentance out of the church, pushes baptism out of the church, pushes the Holy Ghost out. You know what they'll try to tell you? They'll say, oh, that, that was just for the apostles. How many has ever heard that? That was just for the 12, or that was just for the early church. But I... I'm here to tell you and proclaim tonight Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God for the plan of salvation. Thank God that it's still alive. Thank God that it's still in this church. God ordained it. He set down the blueprint. He set down the pattern. And I don't care if you're king or not king. Nobody has a right to come into God's house and remove what God has ordained. Nobody has the right to step in there and take away what God has placed in the kingdom of God and in his church. He cut off the borders. He took down the sea. And the covert for the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry without turned he from the house of the Lord and he did it for the king of Assyria. Now I'm, I'm gonna talk about this covert for the Sabbath that came from a Hebrew word that means a covering, covering for the Sabbath. The scripture declares In Isaiah 30 and verse 1, we can take time to read that if they don't have it up on the board right now, but Isaiah 30, verse 1. 
and verse 2. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Have a covering, but not, not of my spirit. This covert of the Sabbath, and how many knows what the Sabbath is? It's a type of the Holy Ghost. Isaiah, uh, I believe it's 28, verse 11 and 12, said, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, for this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. But they would not. They would not hear. They would not listen. Oh, dear God, if we can realize today that God has a rest for his people and that rest and that refreshing is the covering of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is our covering, folks. The Holy Ghost, we, don't, we, we can't substitute it with something else. We can't substitute it with talent or abilities or, or anything else. There's no amount of, 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 of what we can decorate with that's going to take the place of the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice some of our churches now, you know, they part of their worship is you got lights flashing and turning every which way in all different colors and smoke, artificial smoke, not the real thing. A smoke coming up all around, you look like you're in the fog. Well, that's amazing because we find them when they couldn't enter into the temple because of the, the Spirit of the Lord filled the place and it was like a cloud and they couldn't see. They didn't have to have a fog machine. The Spirit of God brought the, brought the glory. Hallelujah. They didn't have to have uh, uh, colored lights because he was the light of the world and he still is today. And I'm simply telling you today that we don't need to go to, the, to Egypt and we don't need to go to Syria and we don't need to go to the denominational world to learn how to attract or bring people out to the house of God. There's just something about the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, that's what Paul said. I came not unto you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. But Ahaz took that out. Now Isaiah said they have a covering, but it's not of my spirit. Why? Because we're going to remove the covered Sabbath. We're going to take that out of the church. That, we're going we're gonna to tell everybody that was just for the early church or that was just for the apostles. That tongue talking is not for us. Baptism is not necessary. Repentance, all that's old fashioned stuff. You know, that's, that's those crazy people that walk around in robes and sandals and, and have a sign that says repent or go to hell. That's for those fanatics. Well, I guess I'm one of them. Hallelujah. We need repentance in the church. I said we need repentance in the church. 
We need water baptism in the church. I'm so glad. I got baptized in Jesus' name 65 years ago to this next coming month uh, on April the 20th, 1958. Baptized in Jesus' name. He filled me with the Holy Ghost on April the 13th. I got it on credit. A week before I got baptized. I don't know why I got the Holy Ghost before I got baptized, but that's how it happened. But I got Bible. There's other people that happened to too. While Peter yet spake the word to the Gentiles, Acts 10th chapter, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they that were with them were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the Spirit for they heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. Let me tell you, there's those that'll try to take tongue talking out of the church. But Paul said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. And he said, forbid not to speak in tongues it's still the same message. It's the same Holy Ghost. You get it the same way they got it on the day of Pentecost. And we need to hold on to it with everything we've got. Because this is a, an apostate time. And some preachers are letting up and saying, well, we don't, we don't need to preach about repentance. We need to make people happy. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Nothing can make you as happy as repenting. I remember preaching a revival service. I think it was in Memphis many years ago. And this man came to the altar and he said, I got to have God. And I said, well, the first step's to repent of your sins. And he said, what's that mean? I said, it means to tell God that you're sorry that you've sinned and you're not going to do it anymore. You're doing an about face. He said, all right. And he began to pray. And I'm telling you, that guy got so happy and so excited. And he he got to just jumping up and down. And and, and I, I said, now, you ready for the next step? He said, you mean there's something more than this? He was so excited and so happy to have repented that he thought, man, this this is real salvation. I said, no, next step now, you need to get those sins washed away that you just repented of. You know, you can throw mud at at your brother and he can throw mud at you. You can look at it and both of you feel bad about what you did and both of you can repent and say, I'm sorry, I won't ever do that again, but you're still muddy. And you can say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've sinned and I won't do it again and, and thank God for repentance. We need that, but don't stop there because now you need to have those sins washed away. Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, washing your sins away. Bible said in 1 Peter talked about Noah's day said where few souls that is eight souls were saved by water the like figure that were into baptism doeth also now save us I don't care what somebody says they may be call themselves King Ahaz if they tell you that you don't need to be baptized in Jesus name they've told you a lie 
If they tell you that repentance is not necessary in this day and age we're living in, my God, it's more necessary today than it's ever been because where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound, and the grace of God comes through repentance. God begins to deal with our heart. Conviction, old-fashioned conviction. Brother Ronnie, I remember you, some of the revivals we had down in Pascagoula and the old time revivals. Sometimes you'd get up and start singing an old song and before you could even get to preaching, folks would come running to the altars. Conviction. But nearly every service we preached repentance. Folks, don't ever let repentance become just a byword. Don't let it be a museum piece. Don't set it off to the north side of the building where every once in a while people can go by and take a look at it and say, boy, I remember those days. I remember those days too and thank God they're still happening. The brazen altar, the laver in the sea, the holy of holies, presence of God we should never pattern our worship and our doctrine after the nominal world and the false church the Bible says in the book of First Timothy 4 and 1 and I believe we've lived to see these days come to pass some of my first sermons I preached right here in this community of Bethlehem. Bishop, it was 56 years ago and preaching repentance, preaching water baptism in Jesus' name, preaching the infilling of the Holy Ghost, preaching Jesus could come back any day, preaching Get ready because the Lord's coming back soon. And preaching that beware because we're in the end time. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days, the latter times, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. How many believe we've lived to see that day happen? To nothing is wrong, good is evil, and evil is good. Conscience seared with a hot iron. I'm gonna tell you, if you turn God's conviction away enough, the Bible said he who being often reproved often reproved who does not humble himself and obey and repent shall be cut off suddenly and that without remedy. That old time conviction may make you uncomfortable. I remember even though I was a boy just hanging on to the back of the pew in front of me because I was so convicted and it was miserable. But the day that I turned loose of the pew and I made my way to the brazen altar, 
I'm glad there was an altar in the church. Woo, hallelujah. I said, I'm glad there was a place of repentance. I'm glad I wasn't in some church that had taken out repentance and didn't preach it. I'm thankful for that conviction because that holy conviction is what the Bible said, godly sorrow worketh repentance and repentance unto salvation. And I'm thankful for that godly sorrow. Yeah, it's not always a jump and a holler and a smile on your face. Sometimes it brings conviction that will cause you to run to that old altar and find a place to repent. And I'm thankful I was filled with the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. I'm glad I wasn't in a church that took baptism out. Ooh, hallelujah. Brother Wilson used to tell me, he said, these churches you go to don't have a baptistry and they don't have any water in it. They didn't ready all the time. They don't want revival. <laughs> It is the truth. Have an old dry baptistry and you got folks wanting to be baptized and say, well, if you'll hang around three or four hours, we'll get some water in here. I remember taking Brother, Brother Ronnie out to the water and it wasn't warm. They didn't have a baptistry. What was wrong with that brother? <laughs> Didn't have a baptistry. We'd go out there. Where, what was that thing? A ditch or something? Huh? The canal. Yeah. And it was in what? February? And it was cold? And, and uh, the pastor was sick, so he said, would you do the baptizing? I, I, I said, yeah. And I waited out, and I liked to froze to death. <laughs> I don't know how many we baptized that night, but I'm telling you, you got the Holy Ghost when you come out of that cold water. And you was, had stammering lips and I don't know about the other tongues yet, but it was, boy, it was there. But thank God for water. God will provide it. If it's in the middle of the desert, ask Philip. Here is water. The eunuch said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? If he'd have had the spirit of Ahaz and the spirit of the apostasy that's in this end time, he'd have said, oh, you don't have to do that. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know the origin of the only believe, believe only doctrine, here it is. Ahaz set the pattern. Kick out the altar. Cut down and remove the baptistries. Tear down the covert Sabbath, let's get rid of all that. We can make our own covering. But I'm here to tell you that we need the covering of the Holy Ghost. And we need the covering of holiness. And it has been removed from so many churches, so-called churches. But I'm thankful God's got a church. Because right after this all happened, that Ahaz died and a man, his son named Hezekiah began to rule in, in Judah. And I want you to look, notice what happened. Let me, I'm about to close, so don't get too nervous. 
2 Chronicles 29 and verse 3. He in the first year when Hezekiah became king, isn't it amazing? One of the greatest revivals broke loose with this man of God. And he was born of one of the most carnal and apostate fathers that one could have, Ahaz. But in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Hallelujah. So we're going to get back to what God ordained and what blueprint that he gave to David and how it was built by Solomon because God had laid it down. And the Bible said in verse 5, well, verse 4, and he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. Woo, hallelujah. Thank God they got out of the north and went to the east where it's all supposed to happen. The entrance to the temple was in the east. The, the, the brazen altar was supposed to be in the east. We're going to get that out of the museum and bring it back and put it in the place where it's supposed to be in order in the house of God. Sanctify yourselves, Levites, and sanctify the house of the Lord God your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Let's get rid of all this junk that my dad put in here. This is basically what he's saying. Verse 16, and the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. They threw it into the brook. They got rid of it in the trash dump and they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify and on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. Woo! I'm telling you, we can have revival in a matter of days. When we make up our mind, we're going to get rid of the false stuff, of the stuff of Syria, of Damascus, of Egypt, and get back to apostolic doctrine and apostolic truth. What great revival could break out all over this country if every denomination that has done away with repentance, done away with water baptism, done away with the infilling of the Holy Ghost, would suddenly get a revelation and say, we're going to clean the house. We're going to see an outpouring of God's Spirit like the early church did. We're going to get back to the pattern that God laid out to us from the beginning. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. We've wondered sometimes how our church can hold all the people that God's going to bring in. I've been preaching this for a long time, believing it. And I've asked God, and I'm going to let you all in on a little secret. I said, God, if you see fit, I'd like to live long enough to see it with my own eyes, what I've been preaching about, this great end-time revival. I believe we're seeing the tip of the iceberg right now. 
But you don't have to worry about is this new building over here going to hold enough people, put in enough people in there. It's only, you know, 12, 1,400. Uh, what, what if it won't hold all the people that are coming in? Well, you know something? God has a way of figuring that out because he can take every denominational church building that has done away with repentance and bring it back into that church that's pushed baptism off into the museum department and bring it back into the church and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't it be something if every denomination got repented of their sin and got baptized in Jesus' name and got filled with the Holy Ghost and then they could have church right there where they're at, real church. Woo, hallelujah. Brother Wilson, we remember a move of God very similar to that back in the 70s, late 70s, early part of the 80s. Quartets were going out and singing and pastors got hungry for a move of God and got baptized in Jesus' name, got the Holy Ghost and went and preached it to their churches. And what It started a big movement. They called it the charismatic movement. When people from... Catholics and Baptists and Episcopal and Methodists and all these were receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Some were getting, I got a call one day when I was pastoring in North Vernon from one of these churches and they asked me, said, do you have any baptismal certificates that say in Jesus' name? I said, you better believe it. That's the only kind we got. <laughs> It's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we got people that are wanting to be baptized in Jesus' name and we knew that's how y'all did it and that's what we, uh, wouldn't it be something if they begin to pattern after the true church um, instead of pattern after the Damascus church? How many of you know God's able to do it? The great revival that came from, Hez from Hezekiah. Verse 19, and I'm about to close again. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away, notice it, in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before, I love this, the altar of the Lord. <laughs> We got rid of the altar of Damascus and the Syrians and we have restored the altar of the Lord and all of this junk that Ahaz put in here, we've gotten rid of it. I'm saying today, you can be a part of the great hypocrisy, apostasy, or you can be a part of the great revival. You can be among those who fall away or you can be among those who get closer to God than they've ever been. I was preaching for a pastor in a church in the state of Kentucky. That's as far as I'll go with it. But he said, I don't believe in revival. I don't believe in all this revival stuff. The Bible said there's going to be a great falling away. Well, you know, there's some people that can look at this glass of oil and say it's half empty. 
But then there's other people that'll look at it and say it's half full. There's some spies go out and they come back and all they saw was giants. And then there's other spies that go out and all they saw was grapes. What are you seeing tonight? If you want to be a part of the falling away, you can. But if you're ready to say, you know what? I'm ready for revival. I'm not sure if I said this to him or not, but I'm sure I wanted to. If you don't believe in revival, why did you call me? But he got just what he expected. I don't think we baptized a person. I don't think anybody got the Holy Ghost. I don't think anybody repented because there was a leader that didn't believe in revival. But I believe that we've got pastors and ministers in this church that believe in revival. Matter of fact, I know we do. Woo! Sister Carson and I have been in a lot of churches all over this country and, and, and even our parts of the other parts of the world. But this kind of church right here is a church that believes in revival, that not only believes it, but acts it out and is a part of it. We've got a group of people that want revival. We've got ministers that want revival. We've got young people that want revival. People say, oh, young people don't want anything to do with God. I beg your pardon. There's some that say, give me God. Give me everything that God's got for me. I want more of him. Let's stand this evening. If it could happen to Hezekiah in eight days, it can happen to Bethlehem Church in eight days. Amen? It can happen in Memphis in eight days. It can happen in Indianapolis in eight days. It can happen anywhere there's a people that will come nigh because Jesus said, draw nigh unto him and he would draw nigh unto us. I spoke to young lady Sunday morning I believe it was it was praying right up and along through here and she said all my life I've had a desire to want to live for God but she said I'm confused because I see so much hypocrisy in religion and she said I just can't get into religion and I said well this isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And I said, it's good that you've got a relationship with God. But a relationship with God is not a one-time thing. Salvation is not a one-time experience. It starts with believing. He that believeth on him shall be saved. It goes on to repentance. It goes on to water baptism. It goes on to infilling of the Holy Ghost. It goes on to living godly and holy. It goes on to he that endureth to the end. The same shall be saved. These are all essential steps on this journey of salvation. And I said, in your relationship, if you really desire a relationship with God, go to the next level. 
I said, we're not knocking what experience you have got with God, but there's something always more and that's a greater, deeper walk with God. How many is as close to God as you want to be? How many would love to get a little closer to him than you've ever been? I believe that's a daily thing. And even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said these words, I die daily. But he also said, I am renewed day by day. Day by day. Every day we need to have a renewing of God's spirit in our hearts and in our lives. That's the revival that God is going to send to this end time. If there's people that want revival, and I believe this church does, I'd like you to just make your way down toward the front. We're going to spend just a little moment in prayer. This isn't an altar call, but maybe it is. Maybe we need to go back to that altar, that old-fashioned altar, and say, Lord, renew in me what I used to know, what I used to feel. Don't let me be a part of the falling away, but God, let me be a part of the great revival of this end time, the great harvest that's coming. Not how much can I get away with and still be saved, but how much can I serve God? How much more can I give God of myself? In Jesus' name. Why don't we just lift our voices up to him right now. Thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah. God, we thank you for truth. We thank you for the plan of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for this glorious death, burial, and resurrection gospel of repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And God, let us never put it aside. Let us not sell it out, Lord. You said, buy the truth and sell it not. We know, God, that there is a strong delusion that's coming in this end time, that if possible, even the very elect would be deceived. But God, you gave us a way that we could never be deceived, and you said that if we'll love the truth, if we'll love the truth, Lord, those that are deceived were, was because they received not a love of the truth and you sent them to strong delusion till they would believe a lie and be damned. But God, we thank you for truth. We want to love it, Lord, and cherish it and cling to it forever. In Jesus' precious name, thank you, Lord. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord and thank you. thank God for this church. I thank God for the ministry of this church. I thank God for the great heritage that God has given us and for the light that has been in Marshall County for all these years. Folks, get ready for the greatest move of God and the greatest revival that we've ever seen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you tonight.